Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the end of the book of Philippians. Uh, it's also printed in the bulletin, but it, the passage we'll be looking at in Philippians chapter 4 can be found on page 982 if you're following along in a pew Bible. Those are the Bibles on the back of the pew in front of you, in case you forgot what they were. So, <clears throat> We're going to spend two weeks looking at these closing verses in uh, Philippians as Paul's wrapping up his letter. And we'll be looking in particular at verses 10 through 13 today. Some people say that verses 10 to 20 of the of chapter 4 of Philippians is the strangest part of the letter. That's always encouraging when you go to study to preach a passage and they say, this is really weird. <laughs> and so I don't know if you felt this way uh, as you've looked at the ending of the letter. But Paul is thanking the Philippians for the gifts that they have sent to him through Epaphroditus. And his thanksgiving to them sounds a lot different than how we may typically write a thank you note and even how people in Paul's day would write a thank you. And I think the reason for that, that we'll see today and even next week as we look at this text, is that Paul is taking the time, over ten verses, to thank them in a way that highlights the giving and receiving that we can do with a Christ-like mindset. And what's fascinating to me about the text that I think we'll see together is that this mind of Christ and this humility and care for one another affects something as common and as complicated as giving and receiving help from one another in the body of Christ. And so I'm going to read our passage, and um, we'll read together verses 10 through 20, the whole text, even though today we'll mostly focus on verses 10 through 13. So hear God's word as I read Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's pray and ask our Lord's help as we consider his word to us. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us as we consider your word. We pray that you would help us to see Jesus and how he enables us, both in giving and receiving, to become more like him. We pray that you would 
Send your Spirit to illumine our hearts, that you would remove our doubts, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would remove distraction from our minds, and that we could be encouraged by the beauty of the salvation that you have given us in Christ. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. Well, you may have noticed I I didn't put an outline in the bulletin, and so for those of you who like structure or to take notes, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, I'll have three points this morning, and I'll tell you them as we go along, but just so you can hear them up front, we'll be talking about joyful receiving, contented receiving, and Christ-empowered receiving. And so the first thing that we'll look at together is this concept of joyful receiving, And we see this in the beginning verses of our text. What we see right away is that Paul rejoiced when he received the Philippians' gifts. They hadn't been able to send him support for some time. You may have noticed that in verse 10. He says that now at length you have revived your concern for me. That that means that for a while they weren't able to show that concern. But Paul clarifies that it's not because they didn't care that they weren't able to do that, but he says, you didn't have the opportunity. And so we're not sure why this was, that the Philippians weren't able to support him for a while. It could have been because of their financial situation. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how the churches in Macedonia, and that's where Philippi was located, experienced extreme poverty and even gave to the church in Jerusalem out of their extreme poverty. But perhaps when it came to giving to Paul again, uh, they were unable to do so. It also could have been because of logistics. It wasn't that you could just wire money to someone or just um, text them money, as we're able to do now. But money had to be taken to the person. And Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea at one point. He may have been inaccessible on his journey to Rome. And so all kinds of logistical reasons, perhaps, that the Philippians were not able to get their gift to him. But whatever the reason was, whatever the circumstances were, in verse 18, Paul tells us that Epaphroditus was able to bring him the gifts that they sent. And then as we look at our section in verse 10, what we find is that when he received those gifts, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord. He was filled with joy over the reception of this financial support. Now that may sound pretty simple. Paul received a gift and was joyful. Seems like kind of a natural human response, doesn't it? Um, But it's not always that easy to rejoice when you receive a gift. And I've found this especially in my own life, and I want to let you in on a story that shows the darkness of my heart, as long as you promise not to hold it against me as we continue. But I remember specifically one time realizing how twisted we can be even about receiving gifts. When I was ministering, it was early in our marriage, we were at another church, and at that church I also did announcements and started the service and was preparing for that. And before I went up to give announcements, someone came and brought me a gift. I don't remember what the occasion was. I don't remember what the gift was. I just remember taking a bag and thinking, affirm with thanksgiving that you're receiving this gift. But in my heart, I was thinking, why in the world would you give me a gift right before I'm about to go up front? And so I just kind of stood there frozen and then had the wherewithal to turn and return to my seat. And Darcy was sitting there and saw the look on my face and said, what's wrong? And I said, someone just gave me this. What am I supposed to do with it? And she... (laughs) 
she just looked at me and said, well, you could set it here. And she said, and she said as only she can, how dare they give you a gift on a Sunday morning before you give announcements? And I remember at the time thinking, you know, that's right. Um, and this is really twisted that I'm so upset about receiving a gift. But it showed some of the complexities of the horizontal nature of giving and receiving of gifts. Even if you're not as self-centered as I am, receiving gifts can be a tricky thing, can't it? Our minds can quickly move from the gift that we're getting to the horizontal implications of that gift. Have you ever experienced that? Will they expect something like this from me in return? Have I gotten them something this night? before. All kinds of questions can go through our minds. And as we stop and think beyond just the giving and receiving of a gift, but when we start to think about this broader context of giving and, and especially receiving help from other people, it can be even more complicated, can't it? You know, in the context, Paul isn't writing a thank you note for a Christmas gift or a birthday gift. He's writing a thank you note for financial support and help that came to him. And it can be difficult to receive help from other people, can't it? Um, We can receive someone's money or time or counsel or their hospitality. And in the receiving of that, we can immediately start to think about the horizontal. We wonder what this means about how they view us. Are they somehow now the giver and we're the receiver? Do they somehow see us as the needy ones? If what they're giving us is actually really helpful, we can immediately find ourselves thinking, wow, this is really helpful. I hope it continues. And how can I continue getting more? of it. Our minds go to all these things. And so I find it comforting that those complexities about receiving help are not unique to us. Do you realize that giving and receiving was actually incredibly complicated in Paul's day? There was a whole set of social um, customs and stigmas that were attached even within the Christian world. Giving a gift to someone put them in your debt. The receiver was expected to give a gift in return. And the expectation was that the gift that you would give in return for getting a gift would have to be bigger than the gift that you just received. And it's it's um, written down in ancient literature described as this, that it's a contest of benefits to outdo one another in your gift giving. And if you didn't, It could ruin the friendship. It had serious implications for your relationship. And financial gifts also had strings attached. And it could easily shift from friendship that you had with someone and helping them in their need to all of a sudden now it's some sort of business partnership because money had been transacted. And this helps us understand why Paul was actually very careful about receiving financial support from churches. Even though he thought it was his right and that those who proclaim the gospel, they have a right to have a living from the gospel, he often did not take that money because he realized that it could tempt the people in the churches to think that he's just another speaker who's doing this for what he can gain or that it would somehow take away his authority because now he would be indebted to them because they had supported him. 
And so with all that complexity, I know that's a bit of of background as we come to the text, but it's in the midst of all this complexity that Paul then writes a 10-verse thank you at the end of a four-chapter letter. And Paul shows that he was able to joyfully receive the Philippians' gift. And how did that happen? Well, we see that he rejoiced because of their care. Paul saw their gift as reviving their concern for him. Notice that in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It's important to know that that word revived can also be used to speak of plants. It's an agricultural word. The plant is growing and then it blossoms. It blossoms forth. And what blossoms forth in their care is this gift that he gives them. And so what Paul's saying here is what was revived, what blossomed was their concern for him. Now, one of the things that we don't quickly see in our English translations is that that word concern is a term that Paul has been using all throughout this letter to speak of having that mindset, having that way of thinking or feeling that is Christ-like in response to the others. He said back in chapter 1, verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way or to think this way or to be concerned this way about you. And and then in chapter 2, verse 2, have this mind, this way of thinking that's the same in Christ Jesus. And so that's what he's saying their concern actually was. So their concern or their thinking of him has blossomed again in this opportunity to give a gift. And the reason that part of the reason that Paul was able to find joy in that gift was he saw their heart of Christ-like concern being expressed toward him. He saw this Christ-like care as it came in their gift to him. But Paul goes on to say that even more is happening than that. It's more than just thinking that someone actually cares about you in giving the gift. But do you notice that Paul also says he rejoiced because of more than their gift? I find verse 11 really strange. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Does that sound strange to you at all? I jumped for joy when you sent your gift because it showed your renewed concern, but not that I needed the gift. That's kind of a weird thing to put in a thank you note. What is he doing? Well, he wants them to understand that his need and his need being met is not the primary focus of his rejoicing. He says this in another way in verse 17. You can uh, look down in the passage to see that as well. Not that I seek the gift, but the fruit that increases to your credit. And we'll talk about what that means next week. And so what he's doing here is he's helping them to see that this giving and receiving is about more than just the horizontal of I have a need and you care and you met that need. He sees it in a context that's bigger than just what's happening horizontally. And the reason he's able to see that this way is because really of our next point, because he was content. 
And so we've seen Paul joyfully receives the gift in point one, and and now we come to contented receiving, which he explains for us in verses 11 and 12. Paul says it's, it's not that I'm talking about need in verse 11, and then he goes on to say, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. All throughout verses 11 and 12, Paul is using school language. And you may have heard it in the scripture reading, I learned, I know, I know, I learned the secret. Paul has been in school for a long time learning something, and it was the school of contentment. To be content really just means to be satisfied or to be happy in one's situation with what one presently has. It's to be okay in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Now, what Paul is doing here is actually really amazing because contentment was a major buzzword in Paul's day. Um, Ever since the time of Socrates, the Greeks had sought contentment as a prized virtue. And the way they thought you pursued contentment was through a philosophy of thinking called Stoicism. And the way you became content in Stoicism was through independence. You became self-sufficient. That way you were able to be unmoved by the horizontal things, the circumstances and relationships that were affecting you. And the answer to life was really to detach from emotions and find yourself ruled by logic. And so what that does is it creates this detached way of living that's very self-sufficient that enables you to be unmoved by the ups and downs of life. And that was something that was sought after. And in the context of gift-giving, it could work really well. If someone gives me a gift, that's fine. I can stoically receive that gift because I also know I'm fine without that gift. So that's stoic contentment. That's what's in the air of Paul's day. But Paul um, takes it and reshapes it in the form of Christian contentment, which completely turns it on its head. Yes, Christian contentment still means being satisfied, being happy, regardless of what's happening horizontally in one's life. But do you realize Christian contentment is found not because you're so independent from what's happening around you, but because as a Christian you realize you're actually completely dependent upon God's provision. And it frees you then to actually be content. Look what Paul says in verse 19. He assures them with these words, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This gives us a window into how Paul views the world, doesn't it? He sees everything that happens horizontally. His circumstances of plenty or want, their gift and and his receiving of it, as God carefully supplying every need that he has. And you notice that the way that he's convinced that God supplies every need is according to his riches in glory. 
Think for a moment about what he's saying, that when God supplies needs, it's in character with, it's in accord with, it's, it's according to his riches in glory. Think about God's riches in glory. Paul consistently throughout Scripture views God the Father as one who is rich and abounding in what he has. And so the way that the Father supplies his people's needs is not stingy. It's not metting out just the bare minimum. It's according to his riches in glory. And those riches, Paul says, come to us in Christ Jesus. That's why Paul can say, when I received the gift, I rejoiced in the Lord, because he realizes that that all that the Father has for him in supplying his needs comes to him through the work of Christ Jesus, brought to him by the Spirit. And so therefore, he's able to contentedly rejoice. You see, what Paul's showing us here is this. True contentment is different than not caring what you have, which is the stoic way of thinking about it. True contentment is found by actually realizing what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at how this perspective of all that he has in Christ as God is supplying his needs, how it changes his life. It's a comprehensive contentment. Paul says that what he has learned applies to every situation. And he helps us understand that by speaking of of two extremes that he says in different ways. In verse 11 he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what Paul is doing there is he's highlighting two situations that are especially difficult for followers of Jesus. Plenty and poverty. In the book of Proverbs, we hear the prayer of the wise man. In Proverbs 30, verse 8, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Why is that? Because do you realize both of those situations are actually very difficult for our souls to deal with? It's difficult to have wealth and abundance. It um, is a good cause for temptation for pride and self-reliance. When we have wealth and abundance, we can quickly find ourselves worrying about losing what we may have or find ourselves consumed with the idea of getting and obtaining more. But it's also difficult to be in need or in poverty as we're tempted to sin to survive or tempted to curse God for his perceived lack of care. But do you see what Paul is doing here? He's saying that he has learned contentment in the most difficult of situations, which then applies to everything in between. Verse 11 says, in whatever situation, and verse 12 says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. And so how can this be? How is it that Paul has learned contentment in every situation in life? Well, not only does he see God's provision for him in Christ, but also he sees Christ strengthening him. And that brings us to our third point. It's joyful receiving, it's contented receiving, 
And then finally, it's Christ-empowered receiving that Paul speaks about. These words may be familiar to you in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It'd be interesting if we had time to go around the room and talk about all the situations in which we've heard this verse quoted. Um, I've heard it quoted from buying a house to winning a sports game, uh, doing all things through the strengthening power of Christ. But it's essential to see this verse in its context, isn't it? All things is connected to any and every circumstance and the contentment that's found there. That's the context of what Paul's talking about, Christ's enabling strength. The strengthening is specifically for being able to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves. And the one who does the strengthening, I would submit to you, is Christ. Our translation in the ESV matches the original. It says, through him who strengthens me. But literally that says, in him who strengthens me. And when we find in him all throughout the context of of verse 10, it's in the Lord Jesus that Paul is rejoicing. And in verse 19, their needs are being supplied in Christ Jesus. And so we have good reason to take it as the King James does, saying that it's in Christ or through Christ who strengthens me. This divine empowerment comes. Well, how does this happen? How is it that Christ himself strengthens us for contentment. I think we have to stop and think about what our Lord Jesus teaches us, especially in his incarnation and his ministry. Do you realize that Jesus lived a life of perfect contentment, both in his giving and in his receiving? We often think of Jesus as the giver, don't we? In that great hymn in Philippians 2 that we looked at several weeks ago, uh, we think of him as the one who wasn't clinging to his status as being in the form of God, but stooped to the form of a servant and um, served rather than sought being served. And so Jesus shows us what it's like to give, yes, but it can be easy to forget that Jesus also shows us what it is to live as a contented receiver as he walked on this earth. The one in whom was life was dependent upon his mother for his life as an infant. The one through whom the world was spoken into existence in this world had no place of his own to lay his head, but he depended upon the hospitality of others who cared for him and met his needs. The bread of life himself ate meals that other people prepared for him. And he saw their food as his bread from his father's hand. He who knew heaven's glory was not discontent with living as one who was lowly. And this wasn't stoic, detached contentment, was it? It was a deep, rich appreciation for his daily life as he lived on this earth. Jesus lived a life that was alive to the daily provision of his heavenly Father. When he saw the birds, 
He saw his father's care and knew he would be cared for. When he saw the lilies of the field, he said, Surely I can know that my father will clothe me and meet my needs. He taught his disciples to ask their heavenly father for their daily bread. And he received that bread with thanksgiving as he saw it as from his father's hand. You see, our Lord Jesus was the one who could truly sing the words and truly say the words of Psalm 73. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. And listen to this contentment. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our Lord Jesus sang those words perfectly while he walked this earth. And when every measure of perceived care and provision seemed to vanish, when Jesus himself faced the deepest poverty in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross itself, what did he do? He still trustingly obeyed, even as he cried out in pain and lament at the deprivation he was going through. And in doing so, he endured depths farther than we will ever have to go. The deepest humiliation, even death on a cross, so that through giving it all, we could could now have everything in him. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Brothers and sisters, isn't it amazing that the same Jesus, who truly knows the secret of living in plenty, and, in, and being in need is the same Jesus who now by his spirit is at work strengthening you so that you can be content in any and every circumstance. And so I think the question that it calls us to consider is if we see Jesus strengthening work in our lives. One of the things that I find encouraging about this passage is that Paul wasn't zapped into contentment overnight, was he? He used school language. It was a long process of learning it all in life. And not that Paul was perfect in this, I'm sure, but he got to a point where he could say to the Philippians that contentment so shaped his character that he could say, I have learned it. And that gives me hope. Does it give you hope as well? Because I know I have a lot to learn when it comes to contentment. This past year, has I've been so aware of opportunities for discontent. And now, as things are getting a bit more back to normal, I'm amazed at the, the depths of twistedness of my heart that even in now abundance returning, discontent is still right there. And in some ways, it feels even worse. Because you find yourself saying... I understand why it's hard to be content in times of want, but what's wrong with me that in abundance I find my soul not contented? 
And so what this calls us to is to look to Jesus for the strength to be content in both plenty and in want. And let's just consider these as we close. First of all, looking for his strength to be content in plenty. I've often thought of contentment as something that just applies when you don't have as much. But Paul reminds us that contentment can be learned in every situation, even in abundance and plenty. And the reality is that as Americans, in comparison with most of the rest of the world, even the neediest among us are living in relative abundance, aren't we? And one of the things that we may struggle with is the difficulty of being Christ-like content when we find ourselves in plenty. But realize that our Lord Jesus, who knows what it's like to have heaven's glory, he strengthens us in our abundance. And what does that look like? He can help us each day not to cling to the stuff that we have. And he can help us to not unnecessarily worry about keeping those things or losing those things. He can keep us from being consumed by the desire to get more. And he can show us how to be filled with Godward thanks every day, receiving it as a gift from our Father's hand. And he can free us up not to grasp over what we have, but to freely give for the good of others. To count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so he can strengthen us in our times of plenty, but we can also look to Jesus to strengthen us in our time of need as well. Some of us are facing material needs. Maybe you're unemployed or underemployed, living on a fixed income or facing a financial hardship. Do you realize Jesus is strengthening you even now to cry out to your Heavenly Father and to ask Him for your daily bread and to seek the means that He has placed in your life to supply every need that you have. And so I want to encourage you, if you are struggling in financial need, make sure that you've availed yourself of the means of meeting those needs. And the Church of Jesus Christ is one of the ways that we can help meet those needs. And so we want to know about that in ways that we can care for you. And Jesus is also strengthening us to trust in our Father's care, even when all signs of it seem to be gone helping us to learn to be like him, trusting and obedient, even in our deepest need. And it's not just our material needs that this applies to, is it? When we find ourselves tempted to be discontent, dissatisfied with what we lack, that could be relationally, it could be spiritually, emotionally, it could be circumstantially, it could be with our own health, and we're aware of what we don't have, Jesus gently assures us by his spirit that he is with us in that need to strengthen us, walking with us in our need, saying to us, as he said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, brothers and sisters, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is at work in us even now, strengthening us to be able to say, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So receiving gifts can be tricky. 
And next week we'll talk a little bit about giving gifts. But these can stretch us in, in many ways. But our posture as Christians is a posture of being those who receive. What do we have that we have not received? And Paul is showing us here that we can see receiving others' help and others' gifts in this greater context of this story of God supplying our every need. And we can see them really as foretastes of the day when we'll be raised in glory with Christ, never again experiencing any form of need, but knowing what it's like to be fully satisfied, for Christ to truly be our life. And we will see and experience and taste all of the riches that we have in Him. And we will be those who freely give ourselves in in worship and in love. And the same Lord Jesus who will return and will bring us all of that is the same Lord Jesus who promises to strengthen us in Christ-like contentment until he comes. Let's pray and ask his help. Our Father in heaven, we confess that our hearts are often discontent, that we struggle with having abundance and we struggle with our need. We pray that you would grow us in Christ-like contentment. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have for our discontent and for Christ's empowering work by the Spirit so that we can truly see and know the good gifts that come from your hand and the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Will you give us hearts? Will you shape in us? Will you help us to learn as Paul learned in whatever situation to be content with all that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.